0: Hey, yo, this is Paul from Authors Dozen. I'm sick, and I can't go into the studio because of pandemics. It's sad, but that's okay. I can make you take on my suffering. Experience my torment by listening to this very poorly edited uh podcast okay bye
1: it is middle march as i write this it is raining i am still sore from a non-metaphorical marathon i'm still tired the world is tiring it's filled with hostility born of sickness and elections for whom there's no one and everyone to blame it is chilly and wet It's a day when the laptop actually sits on the top of my lap, a day when I cook just to have something to do that feels immediate and warm and meaningful. It is a day When the complication and isolation born of a pandemic prop up the already mounting sense that the world is frustrating, tiring, and endless emptiness into which all work disappears and signifies nothing, it is a day when the world seems too complicated with elements that are, of themselves, too simple. It's a day when I'm sick. It's a day where I just want a break. I want to stop working. It's a day where I find out where I retreat for comfort which is here, of course. The typing, the procrastinating, the place where the thoughts that run in my head in an amorphous swirl of blah, like a race with no racetrack, and words without going anywhere with the words. place where all those thoughts get put into something like what I'd say to someone if they asked me what I'm thinking. It's a day where I take a chaotic situation and try to form it into meaning. Getting a grip. A grip I have to construct. It's only when we try to communicate the ideas in our heads that we figure out if they have any bearing on the world. After last episode, you may have embraced chaos, ingesting the spice that will make your creativity creative. Very good. It's time to package your unique blend of creativity into a kind of sausage casing, constraining your idea into a consumable package. Gross, right? Does this containment cheapen the delightful vagaries in your head? Does the negotiation between reality and imagination create something worse than reality on the one hand and worse than imagination on the other? In sum, is this combination lesser than the sum of its parts?
0: Will Agent Cameron survive?
1: My third book
0: is called Siren Deep.
1: My fourth is Night of the Mayfly. In this episode, we will examine one story that is a reality, that is to say already written, and a story that is only imagined, that is not written yet. The first thing we noticed about Siren Deep is that it's done. It is a novel of 50,400 words, 286,000 characters, 2,583 paragraphs, 7,000 sentences, an average paragraph length of 19 words, average sentence length of 7 words, a reading time of 3 hours, 21 minutes, and 37 seconds. But those are stats. What do they mean? Well, first of all, they mean that other people can read them. It's digestible. So long as a idea stays in your head, nobody else can enjoy it. The unreality of a thing makes it less enjoyable for the Imagineer as well. I mean, think about it. Don't you want to share what you enjoy? If you were proud of something, wouldn't you want to display it to the world? When my stuff goes in red, it bothers me. I know it's good. I wanted the people to want the story as much as I did. So how do we build something that goes to 50,000 words? That's going to be different for everyone. I'll tell you how I did it for Siren Deep and how I'm currently doing it for Night of the Mayfly. First, it starts with an image. Right now I'm reading a book called The Righteous Mind. The idea behind the book is that people tend to have a gut reaction to moral quandaries, after which they try to justify their unthinking beliefs. While I'm not sold on the idea outright, I think it has something to do with storytelling. Art gets me in the gut first only afterwards do i start to dissect the feeling and justify one of my favorite book series is the chronicles of praden pradin i don't know i could justify that favoritism by pointing to amazing characters fantastical world building or even the many awards given to the chronicles but i can't be objective i actually read the last book in the series first and when i close my eyes i can even see the worn library copy of the high king i remember reading it in one sitting. Well, no, not sitting, but encased in a sleeping bag during some elementary school reading day. I can't remember the grade, but the grody tile floors in a too-old school I remember in the cover of the book. Well, Terran, he's our hero. He's surrounded by necklace, glassy-eyed mutations of the human form, while his own eyes are wide with infectious, hopeless horror. I remember the very second I read of Fluterflam Flam, making firewood of his prized enchanted harp. It's enough to make me almost cry. That's why I love the series, not because of the word-by-word writing, though that was important, but because of some intangible feeling inside. Actually, I had to go back to Wikipedia to make sure that Fluter Flam really had a harp, like I remembered. I didn't even actually remember the name Fluterflam, Flam. I just knew that he had a really Welsh name. Every time I sit down to write a book, I want that intangible feeling on my side. I do not set out initially to write something that makes sense. I don't set out with like, oh hey, this is real hot right now, better capitalize on the YA paranormal romance market. One time I had a dream about a robot snake centaur that became a book. One time I had the idea of people controlling humans like colonies of ants. That was a book. The ideas changed and molted until they were no longer recognizable, but they kept those charismatic images. The inhuman control, the robot chimera, the machine world. These images became themes, not the other way around. For Siren Deep, the image that stuck in my head was a planet-sized shell. Sort of like a Nautilus sort of knot.
0: Alysss? (laughs)
1: The idea was wild to me. The idea that there was this unexplainable object. The idea that the object was seemingly empty. Like, why would there be a creature this big? Why does it need a shell? Why is it in space? where to go? I just combined this with an idea that I had a while ago about how even with light speed or faster than light speed, travel between planets would take centuries. Communication would take longer. How would you... Rule an empire when you can't even reach rebels for a few decades. How would planets trade with one another if the goods had to be bargained for years upon years in advance? Maybe the same magical force that holds this empire together is the source of this big creepy shell, and maybe that's why everyone wants to figure out what's at the bottom of the shell. Maybe the shell promises some alternative to the life that the universe has been living. Maybe whoever figures out the secret of the shell gains greater understanding of reality, and thereby gains greater power. There are a lot of uh, story gurus out there who will break down the scientific formula for making a good yarn. I won't actually fight the instinct to systematize storytelling. I did it myself. That said, that's not the place to start. The way the sausage is made isn't to measure the length and width of the world's best sausage, and then make all your sausages that circumference, you know? Even if you took all the measurements of the world's best sausage and perfectly replicated them, well, you'd just have the same sausage that already existed without any sort of knowledge of what brought it about. You'd have cold replication that excites exactly no one. If you only remake sausages, you have no idea how the sausage is made. The place to start is with this illogical longing for something that does not yet exist.
0: George R. R. Martin
1: didn't actually set out to create A Song of Ice and Fire. Quote, when I began, I didn't know what the hell I had. I thought it might be a short story. It was just this chapter where they find these direwolf pups. Then I started exploring these families and the world started coming alive. It was all there in my head. I couldn't not write it. So it wasn't an entirely rational decision, but writers aren't entirely rational creatures. Close your eyes, right now. What's that you see? What's that thing that you think about when you think about nothing? What fascinates? What's the thing that you do when you don't want to do anything else? On a sick, raining day, what imaginaries come around your shoulders and comfort you? Take that. Package it. The wolves and the snow are all well and good, but now, around the central linchpin of irrational emotional resonance, we build a world and make the emotion make sense. You know that dread that comes upon you when somebody says, Dude, I had the craziest dream last night! Or when someone brings up a vision they have for the world with zero plan about how to bring that vision about? That's because they're not actually trying to tell you a story, they're trying to tell you a feeling. I don't understand when someone tries to tell me a feeling. I do understand when they tell me a story, when they make me walk in the shoes of their feeling. Focus on the middle third of Martin's quote. Then I started exploring these families and the world started coming alive. That's actually what people fasten on to with Game of Thrones. But none of that comes about until you have the wolves in the snow. Siren Deep is the result of a vision, but that vision is given flesh by the way it's packaged and built out. Next week, we'll talk about how to organically build from an initial vision without losing the spark.
0: Ooh, how was that? That was a good one, huh? So, my editor uh, just had a baby, which is awesome. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, not going to bother him with this podcast right now. Uh so just doing it for myself. And uh yeah, I hope I hope it didn't bother you too much. Thank you for listening. I love you. moo 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 moo, moo.